Um, today we're going to take a break from Romans, and we're going uh, to be in Genesis 24. So if you want to open to Genesis 24. <clears throat> I mentioned to you guys, I think, uh, a few different times that we're teaching through Genesis with the youth group. And uh, if, if nothing else, like it's been cool for me if nobody else is getting anything out of it. Um, you know, I've just really, really enjoyed... Um, you know, even as the guy teaching through it, you know, with the high schoolers and the middle schoolers, like it's probably been more impacting for me, I think, than anybody. Um, just been a really, really neat study and, and uh, just kind of looking forward to getting into uh, Genesis 24 today. So uh, let's go ahead and pray and then uh, we'll get into it. <coughs> God, we're thankful for today and thankful uh, just for another day that you've brought us here together um, as, as a corporate body, as a family. Um, God, where we can get together and uh, just fellowship with one another, where we can get together and uh, study your word, where we can get together and, and apply your word to our lives. God, we're grateful for uh, just the times that, that we get to gather, uh, even before and after service, where we can um, talk with one another, uh, pray with one another. Uh, God, we're just thankful for every chance that we get <clears throat> to be together. And so just uh, prayerful for today, God, and hopeful for today. Um, just that the Holy Spirit would, would be here and that the Holy Spirit would be uh, working in our hearts, uh, working in our lives, uh, opening up our minds and giving us understanding of what your word would have to say to us today. Uh, God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> uh, just to give you a little background on, on Genesis 24, this is, this is the story of uh, Isaac and Rebecca, and, and uh, this would make a cool movie, and I think you guys will kind of, as we, we go through this, it's, it's kind of a long chapter, and we're going to read the whole chapter, um, but I think as you kind of hear this story and see it unfold, like, you'll, you'll be able to kind of picture in your mind, like, what Hollywood would, uh, would do with this. It would, it would make, a, make a great miniseries or a, or a, or a movie, and um, so, so you'll see that, but um, what's happened here, kind of leading up to Genesis 24, is uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, has just died. Uh, Isaac's mom has passed away, and uh, Abraham is not too far uh, from, from dying himself. And, and so Isaac's kind of in the, this place of, of just kind of mourning the loss of his mother. And Abraham, realizing that he's getting old, um, you know, he wants to see uh, Isaac uh, be married. And, and so that's kind of where, where we pick up. So let's just start reading. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had changed, uh, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back from the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, and you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And so just to kind of set the scene for you, Abraham is, is giving a, a mission to his servant, and his mission uh, is to go find a wife for his son Isaac. And so he makes him uh, take an oath by, by putting his hand underneath his thigh. And that's kind of when we get to this in youth group, like everybody's like, what? <laughs> we have a little bit of fun with it. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, it was a serious oath, right? And, and that was kind of in demonstration of, of the seriousness of this oath. It would be like today, uh, you know, shaking on it with somebody, right? And, and giving your word that you would uh, accept this mission and that you would take this oath uh, to do this. And so, so he tells him, uh, because he's living in a foreign land, he's like, go, go back to our homeland and, and get a wife uh, for Isaac and, and bring her back here, right? And so this servant kind of goes, well, it's like, what if she won't come? Then am I bound by the oath? And uh, anyway, so they go through all that, and, and, and so he ends up uh, basically accepting uh, the mission, and he swore an oath to Abraham. 
that, that he would do this. Uh, picking up in verse 10, it says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside of the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God, my master of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So the servant stops outside of town, and, and he prays. right? And, and he prays to God, and he kind of sets the scenario that, I'm going to go over here to the well, and I'm going to ask this woman for something to drink. Or, and so the woman that I ask, if her reply is that she'll give me something to drink and she'll water my camels, that's how I'm going to know that's the one uh, that, that you have. And so, so he stops and he prays that before he goes into town. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed, in, gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Now just a quick side note. Um, camels, remember this guy has 10 camels, right? And camels drink about 20 to 25 gallons of water, so this wasn't like just going to give your camels a drink. Like this was, you know, she's got a bucket, you know, dipping into a well and has to, to you know, come up with 200 to 250 gallons of, of water to water these camels. So this wasn't like, like Rebecca's a hardworking girl here. This wasn't a small thing that she would water these camels, right, of a complete stranger. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said... Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord uh, again and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, Speak on. So, so they're at dinner, right? And, and the servant, he's like, hey, we can't eat. I've got to tell you guys what's going on here before we eat. So verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he, he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, making servants, uh, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. 
I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from the clan of my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath and when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Verse 45. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So he recounts the servant. The servant recounts the story to Laban, right, to the family, tells him what's happening here. And he's telling, he asks him, okay, so tell me, here, here's the deal. God has led me here and he's led me to Rebecca to take her uh, back home to uh, give as a wife to my master's servant, Isaac. And so he's asking them, like, what do you guys think? Right, and so verse uh, 50, it says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So in other words, they, they recognize this as being from the Lord, and so they, they gave their blessing. Verse 52, When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and his servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave, her, uh, gave to her brother and her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. They sent her away. They sent away Rebekah and her sisters and her nurse uh, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. So, so they're on their way home. Verse 62, Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Right? This is where Hollywood kicks in, right? This is where the music, the music starts to get pretty intense. Okay. Verse 64, And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who's that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. She took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. <clears throat> so, cool story, right? You guys can, can, see, can see this playing out in, on the big screen. Right, the, the camels are coming, and Isaac looks up, and there, there's a field, and they're they're running towards each other in slow motion, and cheesy music is playing, and right, you can you can picture how the, how this is going down, um, and, and so kind of this love at first sight, you know, kind of thing, um, is is what Hollywood would, would do with this, um, and so they meet, and, and Isaac took Rebecca as his wife, and it says that that he loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. 
So kind of what we want to get out of this today is just to look um, just for a little bit of time this morning, um, just at gospel-centered marriage and what gospel-centered marriage is, um, and maybe even what it isn't. Um, you know, just, just as we have been working through things in the last few weeks, it just seems like there's a lot of marriages that are just hurting right now, um, you know, in, in our body and a lot of marriages that are struggling and you know, the, the Bible doesn't promise us promise us that we're going to be immune, you know, from difficulties, from struggles, um, from hurts, those kinds of things. And so thought we would just take today and, and just address um, <clears throat> marriage through the lens of the gospel. And, and it's kind of, you know, my hope today that, you know, we would walk away from here, hopefully having just a paradigm shift uh, in our thinking about what marriage is, about what marriage isn't. Um, and about you know where where God fits into that, where where the gospel can speak to, um, just the difficulties that arise in marriage. Um, anybody that's been married for any amount of time could probably stand up and, and testify to the fact that sometimes marriage is hard. <clears throat> sometimes it's not so hard, right? Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not so fun. Um, and and we could probably speak to that. But just, uh, you know, reading, uh, I was going to print out some statistics today and just was having some technical difficulties, but just looking up some statistics last night uh, online, I'm sure you guys have heard the statistics of, you know, divorce rates and those kinds of things. And, um, and, and the statistics don't really look any different inside of the church than they do outside of the church. And, and I think it's because inside of the church we don't have... Um, a view of what gospel-centered marriage is. We don't look at marriage through the lens of the gospel. All right, just looking through some of these statistics, it was even kind of some of the, the statistics I found last night were not ones that I was familiar with, not ones I had heard before, and just talking about uh, just the impact uh, that, that broken families have on uh, children and how when they grow up that they're you know, X amount of times more likely to, to have the same types of difficulties and you know, I, I just, for me, I just haven't heard a lot of, of statistics like that uh, in the past. And so it's kind of just staggering, you know, to read uh, some of these things. The, the reality of it is, is that, you know, I'm a sinner, right? You're a sinner. Um, I'm married to another sinner, and we've bred three more sinners into the world. And they're going to grow up, and they're going to marry, hopefully, sinners, and they're going to breed more sinners, right? This is a vicious cycle uh, that, that we perpetuate, and, and so when, when you have all these sinners living under a roof, occupying a space, like you've got to expect that, that things are going to be difficult. You're going to, you've got to expect that there's going to be conflict, right? That there's going to be um, hard times, right? It, it, it happens to um, the best of us. It happens to the worst of us, right? And, and, and so we just want to look at today as, as we, you know, kind of in the backdrop of Genesis 24 of this story uh, of, of Isaac and Rebecca, um, we want to look at, at how we can apply the gospel to marriage and to what marriage is and to what marriage represents and to the reason that God instituted marriage. And so in order to do that, we, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 2. We, we've got to look at when we first see marriage instituted in Scripture. God, God has created the heavens and created the earth, right? And kind of through every, every step of creation, we see that, that Scripture records that, that God would look upon it and, and would say that it's good, right? Kind of every step of creation is good until we get to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh." And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man and said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Right, here we see the institution of marriage in, in the very beginning of the Bible, uh, kind of in the midst of, on the heels of uh, creation. Right, and, and we see that the, kind of the, this, this supernatural, this special thing happens of Adam and Eve, the, the, the two flesh, becoming one flesh. Right? And, and so kind of this cool picture of, of the two becoming one. And right, so, so we kind of get this glimpse just in that statement um, of marriage, right? That um, it's not simply about a man and a wife cohabitating together, operating independently, living independent lives, uh, living under the same roof, maybe having some children in common, maybe owning a house together or some cars together, some possessions t together, but, but th this, this two becoming one, right? <clears throat> That's something that, that, that only God can do. O only God can take two, two people, two lumps of flesh, and put them together to, to make them one. And it's for this purpose, this purpose of becoming one with a spouse, that, that we would leave mother and father. And, and, and what that's not saying is that, that we just ditch mom and dad. It's like, see you later, goodbye. But it's kind of this, you know, stepping out of, um, you know, the authority of, of mom and dad, um, being united with a spouse, becoming one in Christ, right? And the Bible tells us uh, in other places that, that as, as created beings, it, it is our purpose uh, one of our purposes for which we are created is to bear the image and the likeness of God, right? We, we see that in Genesis. And, and so when you have two people, right, that become married, that, that, that God joins together, that, that takes the two, makes them one, we're still created in the image and the likeness of God, and we still bear the image we still resemble who God is to the world right and so if you just think about that even just that fact alone the fact that even as as married spouses were image bearers of God not, not only as, as individuals but but as one flesh that God has joined together like that's kind of a it's kind of a cool thought to think about Right and, and hopefully and, and just you know for me this week as as I have you know meditated on this and thought about it like it just kind of has changed my perception uh, a little bit just about marriage. Right, that, that, that my marriage, <clears throat> your marriage, one of the purposes for it to, to be is to resemble God to the world, to be an image bearer of God to to those around us. Right, and so if you think about that, like. But what does that do to the way that you think about marriage? And I'll just tell you, for me, like, it, it's, it's kind of, I've had a paradigm shift this week, just kind of coming to that realization that, okay, yeah, I, I'm an image bearer of God. My, my wife is an image bearer of God, but, but, but we as one flesh are an image bearer of God. And so you know what? Kind of connecting a couple of dots here this week my marriage isn't so much about me, right? It's not so much about my fulfillment, <clears throat> my needs, what it does for me. It's not so much about what it doesn't do for me. It's not so much about lack of fulfillment. It's not so much about um, lack of needs being met, right? When, when the bigger picture is that we're image bearers of God, right? And, and so, so I, don't, I don't know if that's, the mind blower to you guys that it is to me, but that's been kind of a, like, it's a heavy thing to think about, right? And so just in the context of, you know, looking at marriage in the context of, of the gospel, we, we, we can't come to the understanding of this truth and still think that marriage is about me and what I want and what I need or what I wish I had, right? Those things are, are pale in comparison to Bearing the image and the likeness of God the Creator, who has taken two and, and made them into one. Right? Heavy thing to, to think about. And, and I hope that you guys, this week, you know, as, as you go from here, I'm, I'm hoping that this will be kind of this lingering thought that, that kind of sticks in your mind as it has for me, um, of just, you know, thinking about the implications 
uh, of what that means. Because as we connect these dots, as, as our picture gets a little bit bigger and our understanding grows of what that really means, I, I think that, well, I know that, um, you know, that's going to cause us to look at the difficulties and the struggles that come from occupying space with other sinners. We're going to have a different perspective on those struggles. Right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, that we're not going to struggle in marriage. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that um, because we're married that, that we can't expect to ever have difficulty. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say um, that if, if you're married and you both love the Lord that you're never going to fight. Um, we're not immune to those things. We're not immune to those things because we live in a, in a sin-fallen world and we're, we're, we're sinful creatures, right? And, and so... You know, the fights are going to happen, the difficulties are going to happen, the, the rough seasons are going to come and they're going to go, um, the good seasons are going to come and they're going to go, um, you know, the, the times where, where it's easy and fun are, are going to come, the times where, where it's hard are, are going to be there, right? The Bible doesn't say that, that we're immune from those things, but, but in all of that, we have to have this understanding that we're image bearers of Almighty God. We're image bearers of, of the God that created the heavens and the earth, that created the animals, the plants, human life. We bear that image, right? And, and so when we don't look at not only marriage, but really every area of our life, but, but for today's purposes, when we don't view marriage in that context, what happens is we begin to tarnish the image of God, of who God is, to the world. Right? When we look at our marriages as about me, right, my needs, my fulfillment, all those things, when we look at those things, uh, look at marriages as, as being the, those things being the purpose of our marriage, we tarnish the image of God to the world. That's a heavy thought to think about, right? Real heavy thought to think about. Let's turn to Mark 10. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, <clears throat> and as often would happen is the Pharisees would, would pose a question to Jesus, trying to, trying to test him, trying to trip him up, um, kind of give him these impossible questions where there seemingly wouldn't be a right answer, so kind of no matter how he would answer, uh, that they would be able to say something against him. And in Mark 10, let's um, just start reading in verse 1, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 3, he answered, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sound familiar? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse 9, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This was Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Right? And let me just give you this, this disclaimer. <clears throat> we just don't have enough time today to, like there's a lot of things that, that we could get into today regarding uh, marriage, regarding uh, divorce, regarding all, there's just a lot we could get into and we just simply don't have the time to, to get into uh, all of that today. We, we could spend, you know, probably several weeks at best um, just talking about some, some different things. And so, you know, it, it's not my heart today and, and I don't think it's the Lord's heart today um, you know, for anybody to, to be condemned, um, you know, maybe because you've been through a divorce or, or whatever. And so I just want to want to make that clear. Uh, but we just want to hear the, the Lord's heart in marriage. And, and, and like I said, just be able to look at marriage uh, through the lens of the gospel and let the gospel speak to marriage and let the gospel of grace uh, speak to um, our lives and past mistakes, future mistakes, whatever. 
And, and so ju just understand that, that there's just a lot that could be said that, that just won't get said today due to uh, just lack of, of time. Um, but just really would, would challenge you guys today just to, to let the Holy Spirit uh, speak to you. Um, and, and even though you, know, you might be here today thinking, okay, this, this maybe doesn't apply to me, or you might be here thinking, man, I've, I've really blown it. Um, you know, just let the Holy Spirit uh, work in you, speak in you, and, and hopefully as we, we make our way through this in the next little bit, uh, that we'll be able to make application of the gospel let, and let the gospel of grace uh, speak to whatever our situation is, um, you know, whether, you know, just whatever our situation is. Let's just let the gospel speak to that today. So, so here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees, right? They're, they're asking him a question, um, you know. <laughs> Moses allowed divorce, right? And so they ask him, is it lawful, um, you know, for a man to, to divorce his wife, right? And Jesus tells him it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed that, right? Kind of the indication there is like this wasn't part <clears throat> of God's plan from the beginning. This wasn't the way God designed it to be. But because of your sin and the hardness of your heart, God uh, allowed Moses <clears throat> to be able to, to write certificates of divorce, Right? But then he quotes this, this passage in Genesis where the two become one flesh so that they're no longer two but one. And then he adds to it and he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Right? And, 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 and the idea here of what that means, right? this isn't just this, this cute little, okay, don't, God has joined you together, don't get divorced, don't separate uh, because it's not a good idea. Right? This isn't what Jesus is getting at. Right? <laughs> And, and what he's also not getting at is, okay, I know the difficulties that can come with divorce, and so I'm just telling you for your own good, uh, <clears throat> for the good of, of everybody involved, don't do it. For the good of your kids, don't do it. That's not what he's getting at, right? What, what is being said in that statement, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, um, is a couple of things. Number one, if you're married, you're married because God has joined you together. Right? You, you, you may have, have chose this person or this person may have chose you or you may have popped the question. Or, but, but if you're married and you're here today, God has joined you together. Right? That's the first thing. And the second thing, um, when he says, let not man separate, what, what he's saying is that you as a created being do not possess the fundamental right to separate what God has put together. You don't possess the right to do that. Right? That's what he's getting at here. Not, I've seen the horror of divorce, so don't do it. Right? He's not saying that. It's like you don't even have the right to think about it. Because God has joined you together. So who are you, created being, to even think about disturbing what God has joined? Right? That's a heavy, heavy thing. And, and, and again, just not... Not here to, to bring condemnation if, if you're here and you've been through divorce. Not, not here to bring condemnation on you for that. Um, you know, there, there's grace you know, that, that God shows us. God forgives us of our sins. And God takes the, the things in our lives that, that are sinful and, and harmful and hurtful and, and can work those out for our good. Right? And, and so there's grace in that. And so, so please hear that today. Um, there isn't any condemnation in Christ. But, but just knowing, just kind of the, the state of things in, in, in the body right now and knowing um, just a number of, of people who are struggling in marriage, uh, this is a message for you today that, that you as a created being do not possess the fundamental right to take apart what God has put together. And if you think that you do, then you have a misunderstanding of, of gospel-centered marriage. You have a misunderstanding of the gospel. A misunderstanding of what marriage represents. Aren't you thankful that that Jesus doesn't leave his church? Aren't you thankful that that Jesus will not leave us or forsake us? Man, I'm so thankful for that because I I leave Jesus, I forsake Jesus a lot. Right? Hopefully less now than in the past, but we, we, we leave him and we do forsake him. Thankfully, he does not leave us and he does not 
forsake us. And, and where we've got to get, you guys, in our, in our understanding of, of the institution of marriage and why God instituted it is that right there is that the, the earthly marriage is a picture, is a representation as we are image bearers of God of the love that Christ has for his church. Right? And, and again, understanding that. Just understanding that, that the purpose for which God has designed marriage is so that we can bear the image of the love that Jesus has for his church, right? And the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ, right? Understanding that, that marriage is meant to image that to the world. Even understanding that fact alone, hopefully, will, will cause us to have this paradigm shift in, in the way that we view marriage, the way that we think about um, the, the things that we struggle with daily with regards to our marriages. Right? Jesus will not leave us, will not forsake us because of this holy union <clears throat> with the church. Right? The body of believers, if, if you're here today and <clears throat> you've surrendered your life to Christ, you are part of that, the bride of Christ. Right? That's you. That's me. Right? And that's the image that we bear to the world as believers, as ones whose lives are surrendered to him, is that he loves us with an unending love. He loves us in a way that he won't ever leave us. He won't ever forsake us. He won't. He won't. Right? And, and so when we look at marriage and the purpose of marriage, that, that's the image that, that our marriages are meant to reflect and so for you <clears throat> for me again as, as, as we connect to these dots and as we get just this, this greater understanding uh, of the gospel right so so we see the gospel in marriage right there is that, that, that god loves us so much that jesus loves us so much that he will he will never leave us um, he will never forsake us as a matter of fact he's laid down his life for us, right? First John tells us that that's how we know love. So we lay down our lives for one another, right? And so connecting that dot with earthly marriage, right? Does that cause you to, to, to look at your situation maybe a little bit differently? Come, coming to that understanding? I, I hope so. I hope so. Because far be it from, from me from any of us to intentionally tarnish the image of God to the world, right? We, we, we do that easily enough without even trying, right? Just through the course of our daily lives, let, let alone, um, you know, when, when we intentionally tarnish the image of God, right? And, and again, not here today to, to, to heap condemnation on anybody, but just as we come to this greater understanding, this bigger picture uh, of, of who God is, of why he's created us, um, what it means to be a reflection of him to the world, what it means to, to bear his image, and how we do that through marriage. I hope it changes our perspective. It's changed my perspective just, just this week, you know, in, in preparation. And, and believe me, I, I still have a long ways to go. Like, I feel like the last guy that should be standing up here t saying any of this, um, you know, God is working in me, right? Um, hopefully God is, is working in us, and we're just in this season where, Marriages are under attack. And, you know, just would plea to you guys today, man, can we just pray for the marriages in our church? Um, you know, just as we go throughout our week, as we do the things that we do, um, you know, it's the holiday season, and, you know, we, we tend to be a little more kind of reflective on the good things that God has given us during this time of year. Um, you know, be thankful for, you know, the things that he's done for us. But, but man, during this time, can we just plead and beg God, um, to heal hurting marriages in our church um, because there's a lot of them, right? And, and maybe some of you guys that are here today. And, and man, can we just do that? Can, can I call you guys to that, uh, that we would just go to battle um, in the heavenlies for the marriages in, in our body? Because there's more at stake than just ruining lives. There's more at stake than uh, hurt feelings. There's more at stake than, you know, hurt kids, there's more at stake than us, right? The, the bigger thing at stake is 
tarnishing the image of God to the rest of the world. So can we do, can we do that, you guys, just as you go throughout the week this week and, and the next two weeks or the next month or, or whatever, um, man, just beg and plead God uh, to heal hurting marriages in our church. Because, like, like I said before, we're, we're sinners that occupy space with other sinners. And so that's outside of, of Christ. That's a recipe for disaster. Right? And, and so hopefully in this, you know, and, and like I've said, it's just not wanting anybody to, to feel condemned. But in this, I hope that we can recognize our great need for God. Hopefully we can recognize how desperately we need him. Let's look at Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 22, many of you guys have heard this before. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself, its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water, with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Another reference to one flesh there. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sound familiar? And this, this, is, this is a heavy list to read, you guys. Like, I don't think there's a one of us in this room that, that can read through that list and think, yep, nailed it. Right? I'll, I'll be the first to stand up here and say, I suck at this. Right? I have failed miserably at this. Right? And, and, and so again, even in this, reading this list, like this is impossible, you guys, to do. Men, it's impossible to love your wives like Christ loved the church. You can't do it. I can't do it. It's impossible. So, so why in the world would Paul tell us to do this because it's impossible? It's not possible to do. Right? Like is Paul just setting us up to fail here? No. He's not setting us up to fail. <clears throat> He's setting us up to realize I need Jesus. Because I can't do this apart from him. Right? Paul is, is writing this so we can look at this and say, no way. There's no way I can do that. And so we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize our need <clears throat> for God's grace. Because we can all read this and, and you know, we could stop right there and I could, I could tell you, okay, everybody go home and, you know, work really hard and husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and, you know, buy her flowers and make dinner and do the dishes and, and, and wives respect your husbands and rub his feet when he gets home from work and, you know, all these things. We could do it, right? And, and maybe we could do it for a little while with, with, with some level of success. But, but you know as well as I do that tomorrow or next week or, or next month, you know, we're going to fail. Right? We're going to fail at it. Because it's not possible to, to do these things apart from Jesus. Right? And, and so we have this picture in, in Jesus and the way that he loves the church, the way that he is united to his bride, the church, that fulfills everything that we just read. And so, so we can look at him and we can see the fulfillment of this in Christ. Right? Paul goes on to tell us in verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, so there we have it, right there. Paul tells us, here's, here's marriage, and here, here's how it should work. You can't do it. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you the secret here that this is, this is a reference to Christ and his church. It, 
And, and I'm sure if, if we went around the room today and, and asked, just polled everybody, it's like, how are you doing with this list? You know, probably most of us would, yeah, failed. Failed at it today, right? Failed at it this morning on my way here. Um, and maybe some of us didn't fail out it this morning, but the second you walk out the door, you're going to blow something on this list, right? <laughs> or between now and the time you eat dinner, you're going to blow something on this list, right? I failed at it this morning, and I probably will still blow something on this list the second I walk out the door, <laughs> right? It, it's who we are. We're sinners, right? And so, so, so we have this incredible need for a Savior, this incredible need for, for God's grace. And let, let me just, you don't have to turn there, but let me just jump back to Genesis 24, uh, real quick, um, as we bring things to an end. Um, I love the way that Genesis 24 comes to a close. And in verse 67, it says, Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Right? What we have in that, that simple little statement right there is a picture of the gospel, a picture of the gospel of grace, right? That Jesus took the church as his wife, as his bride, and he loved her. Right, what we see in this story, because Isaac and Rebecca hadn't previously met, but like there was no merit on Rebecca's part where she deserved to be loved. Right, they didn't even know each other. Isaac just simply loved her, right? And it's a picture of God and His grace and how He simply loves us when when we've done nothing to merit it. And not only is it that we haven't done anything to merit it, but we've done a whole lot of stuff to to not merit it at all, to not deserve it at all. Right? And that, that's where the, the gospel of grace can, can speak to us. <clears throat> right? Guys, we, we fail at marriage as created beings. We, we, we suck at marriage. Right? We do. Um, because it's hard. And when it's hard, <clears throat> our, our natural tendency as humans is to go the other way, to run away from it because we don't like adversity. We don't want to face difficulties. Right? And the reality is, is that we can't face difficulties and adversities for any amount of time apart from Christ. And so just to, uh, Stuart, you guys can come on up and just to, to speak to, you know, just different situations today. You know, you may be sitting here, uh, you know, having had some, some past hurts and maybe sitting here having, um, you know, even gone through divorce. And, and, you know, the Bible is here today to tell you that, that there's grace in that. There's grace from God for that right but understand in moving forward that that you are an image bearer of christ right well, whether you've remarried or not you're an image bearer of christ and if you have remarried then the two of you together are image bearers of christ right maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're in the in just in the middle of just a, a struggle right to, to hang on um you know to marriage Right? And it's, you know, you hear it a lot of, you know, well, we'll you know, we're going to stay together for the kids, right? Or we'll wait till the kids move out of the house, you know, things like that. Um, you know, maybe that's you today. And if it is, there's grace for that. Right? Jesus has taken you, his church, as his bride and has loved you. Right? We're an incredible picture of, of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And so there's grace for that. But in moving forward, understand... <clears throat> You are image bearers of, of God the Creator. Right? And, and as you're struggling through marriage, contemplating the future, right, do you want to tarnish that image of God to the rest of the world? And, and the reality of it is, as, as I've said, apart from Christ, we do tarnish that image every day. Right, and, and so hopefully coming to, to this understanding, this realization will just bring us back to just how much we need Jesus, right? Because because we don't really have anything in us that, that is going to make marriage work apart from Christ, right? And maybe you're here today and, <clears throat> you know, aren't going through that kind of a struggle and, and you're in a good season of marriage and life. And, and if that's you, then praise God for that, um, you know, bear, bear his image rightly to the rest of the world. Um, but, but, but as I've already asked, maybe we can all just begin to, to beg and plead God and go to battle for the marriages in our body uh, because there's more at stake than people. There's more at stake than hurt feelings. It's the, the image of the Almighty God uh, to the world 
uh, is at stake. And so just a lot of things, like I said, that, that just wish we had time to get into today and a lot of things that just kind of feel like are left unsaid just due to the, due to the restraints of time. And so, um, man, just, just pray today and, and ask the Holy Spirit um, <clears throat> to work in you, to change your perspective where it needs to be changed, to, to create this paradigm shift in your thinking where it needs to be changed. Because apart from Christ, we, we can't do any of this, and, and we just are miserable failures, miserable dirtbags. And so at the end of the day, we have to look at this and say, okay, that sounds well, all well and good, but I can't do it. Jesus, I need you, right? Because you have done it, and you continue to do it, right? Let's pray. <clears throat> God, again, we're thankful for today, and God, thankful for your word. God, we just pray today that as we, we go from here that um, just my words would, would fall by the wayside and that the Holy Spirit would be at work uh, in all of our hearts and all of our lives today. And God, we just come together as, as your church, as the bride of Christ. And, and God, we, we just battle with one another. God, we battle with, with marriages that are hurting. God, we, we just ask that um, you would bring your healing touch where it's needed, and, and God, that you would be glorified. And Just pray that um, many weeks from now that, that people would just be able to, to stand up and testify uh, to the power of God in their marriage, and God, how you uh, took the things that the enemy would mean for harm and for destruction, and that you would take the things that are sinful, uh, and that you would orchestrate those things and work them uh, for your good, uh, for our good and for your glory. God, your word says in, in Romans that, that if two things are true, that if we love you and are called according to your purpose, that everything works for our good. And God, just how incredible uh, that is and just what peace that brings to us, understanding that truth. So God, would just ask today for, for those that are struggling and having difficulty in marriage, uh, God, that if those people love you and if they're called according to your purpose, that even that would be for their good. God, that you'd use the difficulties of life, that you'd use the difficulties of marriage to shape us and to make us into who you want us to be. And God, I pray as we go from here today uh, that we would not take lightly uh, the fact that, that we are meant to bear your image and your likeness to the world. And so God, I pray that when people <clears throat> look at this body of believers, that they don't see pretentious people, that they don't see perfect people that they don't even see good people uh, but God that they see you that they see your glory uh, as we bear your image uh, God as your body as your bride thank you for who you are you've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County located in Primeville Oregon for more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.